0: The Devil's Often in the Detail, by Ben Henderson.
1: Go on, Harry. Get up.
0: Say a few words. All right, all right. I'll just say a few words. Only because convention says that I must add a retirement to. I won't keep you long, and I'll get around and speak to you all tonight if I can. But if I don't, let me thank you all for coming along to celebrate my retirement from the Metropolitan Police after 30 years. One of you cheeky beggars said to me, I've been at Streatham Police Station so long, I was like the ravens at the tower. If I go, it will all fall down. Well, I'm going, so look out for the falling masonry. So, here we are, 1952. I don't know where the time goes. We've got a beautiful young queen on the throne and Churchill, the old bulldog himself, is back at number 10. When I started at Streatham in 1922, Winston was the Secretary of State for the Colonies. Lloyd George was in Downing Street and the Queen's granddad, George V, was king. I know, for some of you youngsters, that is ancient history. But for me, it's just like yesterday. Funny, when you think we all thought then, we'd never see another war. But we did. You younger people will find yourselves at many retirement dues over the years and then suddenly you'll be like me, standing at your own and not understanding how the time got by so quickly. I've been standing where you are now more times than I care to remember. I've heard plenty of people stand where I am now and thank their families, colleagues and friends and those who could tell jokes told them. Most told stories about themselves, about situations they'd found themselves in, some funny, some not so funny. As most of you know, at Streatham Nick on the first floor is the detective inspector's office. It's always been there, and many have occupied it, and I've seen plenty come and go. In 1922, the man that had that office was as straight as an arrow, a bit of a legend, and the story he told me has haunted me for 30 years. It's so long ago now, I'm sure the people concerned are no longer with us. His story starts on a cold wintry night in December 1922, and it's about six o'clock in the evening in the snug lounge of the Volunteer Inn. The pub is on the outskirts of a village called Finsey by the North Norfolk coast. On the back wall between the bar and the door is an old glass-fronted display case. In it, there is an old flintlock pistol and below it a victoria cross medal on a ribbon with a small card citation henry thomas the landlord is behind the bar polishing glasses when mr lomax and mr scanlon enter the pub they're wearing overcoats and hats under the coats they wear white ties and tails there is a dusting of snow in them which they brush off as they enter
2: Oh, a fire, too. Splendid, splendid. We were so pleased to see
3: your light. Good evening, gentlemen. Few folk will be braving that tonight. What can I get you? Two quick whiskies, please, landlord. We're not stopping long. Looking for some help, actually. How can I help you, gentlemen?
2: We're on our way to Dorrington Hall. We've been following the old Bartholomews, and we pass here. But we find a damn tree blocking our way a hundred or so yards up the road. Uh, Tell us, is there another way round? There's one road into Dorrington. And one road out. Then we shall walk, Lomax. We'll drink these and we shall bloody well march. We shall march out in good order. How far, landlord? Best part of six mile. Oh, that will give us something to aim for. An objective. We will arrive with the appetites of lions and a thirst to
3: match. Don't be an ass, Scanlon. It's after six. They'll sit down in an hour. We'll be an hour late, maybe more, soaked and freezing.
2: Oh, seems a shame to have got this far and been thwarted by a wretched tree.
4: Nobody around here will be out in that weather unless they has to be, and them that has to be won't want to be. You'll be walking to a fierce headwind. If there's one tree down, there'll be others. I dare say. Then what's to be done? I'm on my chin strap. We've rooms here, sir, and we can put on a hot meal. The tree will be cleared in the morning when the weather breaks. Then I'd say we have no
3: choice. I'll call the hall if you like. Tell them your predicament. I say, would you? Yes, do that for us, would you? Scanlon, get the bags from the car. There's a good fellow. Scanlon looks to protest, but then does as he's told. Henry
4: picks up the phone. Dorrington Hall, please. Yes, hello. It's Henry Thomas here at the Volunteer. I have two gentlemen here, a Mr, uh,
3: Stuart Lomax and Mr Alistair Scanlon.
4: Lomax takes
0: off his coat and places it and his hat on the coat stand. A Mr Lomax and a Mr
4: Scanlon. They were due at the hall. There's a tree down on the coast road. Would you let the de Villiers know? Yes, I'll hold.
3: It's actually the invitation of James de Villiers. We were Subalterns together in the Norfolk Lights. It's something of a farewell dinner. Before he and his father leave for Iraq, or wherever it is they're going, the Middle East, somewhere ghastly. Yes,
4: very well, thank you. I'll let the gentleman know. Uh, Mr de Villiers sends his compliments and asks, in the circumstances, would you make yourselves
3: comfortable here, and he will settle the bill. He hopes to see you tomorrow. That's dashed good of him. Another two Scotches, then. Your best Scotch, mind... May as well make the most of this misfortune.
4: I'll get my daughter to come and take a food order from you. If you'll excuse me, there's something I must attend to. Henry places the register in front of Lomax before leaving. May I ask you to complete your details
0: in the register, sir? Scanlan returns with bags as Lomax writes. He puts the bags down and puts his hat and coat on the stand and sees Lomax writing in the
3: register. We are sleeping on iron springs, not agreeable feathers. De Villiers is hosting us here.
0: Ah, he's a good man. Scanlon reaches for the register. Here, yeah, I'll do mine. Oh, don't worry. I'll fill yours in, old man. Scanlon takes the register. Lomax makes a point of keeping the pen, so Scanlon takes out his own pen.
2: Here, you've given an address in George Lane, Lewisham. I thought you lived in Streatham. That's where I picked you up. Uh,
3: that's the girlfriend's address, old chap. I'm there mostly. Lomax changes the subject. So... It appears we are to awake with a view of the Drayman's horses and not peacocks upon a manicured lawn. What a pity.
2: Well, I say it's charming, the rustic allure of a country inn. We'll breakfast on porridge
3: and eggs and not smoked salmon and kedgery. The eggs will be fresh and the porridge hot. Oh, the eternal optimism of the imbecile. Stop your bleating. We're
2: not knee-deep in cold Flanders mud, are we? I
3: don't recall you being there long enough to get
2: cold. I'll enjoy this sojourn, and you should try too. Henry's wife Mary and daughter
0: Janet enters and Henry introduces them. Mary and Janet pick up the bags and takes them upstairs and then return.
5: Henry says you'd care for a hot meal.
2: I certainly would, Mrs
3: Thomas. What can you tempt us with?
5: We could offer you a lamb
2: stew or a shepherd's pie this evening. Splendid. I'll opt for the pie. Me too. But later...
0: Mary and Janet go toward the kitchen door when Janet pauses and turns towards Mr Lomax.
5: I just thought, you should be glad of that fallen tree. It saved you a disappointment.
3: Oh, yes? And what would that be?
5: Dorrington Hall is shut. The de Villiers have left the country. They left last month.
3: I think you're mistaken, miss. I have the invitation in my coat pocket.
5: My friend works there. She helped them pack. No, you're wrong, Janet. They got delayed. They leave next month. You do the gentleman's supper and then get yourself home.
3: Your father's just been on the telephone with their staff. Has he? Janet goes into the kitchen.
5: She needs to get home to her husband.
3: What a pity she has to go out and contend with this dreadful weather. Lomax spots the medal in the cabinet. That's a Victoria Cross,
0: isn't it? Mary tries to change the subject.
5: Uh, Do you gentlemen want another drink?
3: I'll tell you what. Get the bottle and leave it with me. We won't have to trouble you so much. Put it on the Davillier's slate.
0: Mary pours two drinks
2: and places the bottle on the bar.
5: So, this is some sort of reunion?
2: Yes, came out of the blue really, as I haven't seen de since 18, or or Lomax here for that matter but as we both live in London, it was suggested we travel up together.
3: It's a good reason to get the chaps together.
0: Lomax is not distracted for long and returns to the Victoria Cross and reads the citation.
3: St James's Palace, 20th March 1917. The King has been graciously pleased to approve the posthumous award of the Victoria Cross to the undermentioned. Lance Corporal Philip Henry Thomas, Norfolk Light Infantry, killed in action for most conspicuous bravery. Near La Brique, France, whilst engaged in an attack, his section came under withering machine-gun fire, wounding his officer and one man. Lance Corporal Thomas pressed home the attack, silencing one machine-gun and killing its crew. Still under heavy fire, and with complete disregard for his own safety, he carried first the officer, and then the man back to the safety of his own line. In doing so, he sustained a mortal wound from an enemy sniper. The officer, Lieutenant David de Villiers, died of his wounds on the 22nd of February.
0: Henry returns and distracts Lomax from finishing, and Mary goes into
4: the kitchen. Your meal is in the saloon bar, Mr Scanlon. You'll be more comfortable in there. Thank you. I'll toddle off then. Henry glances at the register, then closes it and puts it away. When that award was made, Mr Lomax... My wife couldn't even go to the ceremony. She was devastated. We all were. Sir John collected it on our behalf. I couldn't bring myself to leaving it in the drawer, so I hung it in there. Lomax turns his attention to the flintlock in the glass cabinet. Such
3: marvellous workmanship on these old sidearms. That's over 110
4: years old. French. Last fired in anger at Waterloo. So ornate. Would you mind if I... You want to hold it? If it's possible.
0: Henry opens the cabinet with a key from a bunch in his pocket and takes out the gun and
4: hands it to Lomax. This has been up here so long, nobody even notices it. Can't remember the last time that pistol came out of there.
3: Really? Then I deem it an honour to handle it. This, Mr Thomas, is a tangible piece of history. Bit of family history, maybe. Do you have this insured? Insured? No... Nobody round here would dream of touching it. But heaven forbid, an outsider, an unscrupulous outsider, were just to purloin it. None would dare. I wish I could share your confidence in humanity. Good God, man, it's only protected by a thin layer of glass and a thick layer of dust. Hasn't happened yet. Haven't you ever wondered what this would be worth? Listen, I have a very good friend. He's an antiques expert. What he doesn't know isn't worth knowing. Works for Bonhams. I could have this cleaned properly. I could call him. No charge. Oh, Don't go to any trouble. But I insist. Only take a minute. If I may use your phone.
0: Henry nods. Lomax picks up the phone, and Henry
3: watches him. Mr Thomas, could I trouble you for a piece of paper?
0: Henry had to leave the bar to get the paper. Lomax speaks quietly to the operator.
3: Streatham 435, please.
0: Henry returns and puts a piece of paper in front of Lomax. Lomax says loudly so Henry can hear.
3: Hello, Bottoms. Would you collect me to Mr. Christopher, please? Alistair Lomax calling. Lomax indicates to Henry he needs a pencil. Henry steps out of the bar. Lomax speaks quietly again. Yes, it's Lomax. Never mind, I'll explain later. French flintlock pistol, Napoleonic. Worth anything? Really? Henry re-enters and hands
0: Mr Lomax a pencil. Lomax speaks loudly again for Henry to hear.
3: You'll have to see it then. Yes, I understand. A rising market, you say? Very well. I'll see if the owner is happy for me to bring it to you. Yes. Thank you. See you at the club. Goodbye. You need to take it to London then? Obviously, it would be hard for an expert to be accurate without seeing the item. Look... You have my details in the register, and clearly I'm a friend of the de Villiers. Very well. This is good of you, sir. Don't mention it. I'll put this upstairs in my bag where it'll be safe. Get it back to you as soon as I can. Mr Lomax,
4: that gun there has been in my family for generations. I'm just the current custodian. That will never leave my family, whatever it's worth. Of course.
3: Best to know its value, though. You'll take care of it? With my life. You will? Of course, of course, Mr Thomas. Don't worry yourself. It'll be safe with me.
0: Lomax goes up the stairs, taking the flintlock with him.
4: Mary enters.
5: Why have you let him take the gun?
4: Why? Because when I report it stolen and it's found on his dead body, he'll be seen as what he is, a petty thieving criminal and anything he may have said will not be trusted. The man is lying through his teeth. He's even put a false address in the register. Let him take it. I'll have it back in that display case tomorrow. He's going to disappear, and with him, any semblance of his integrity. Have you heard from Arthur and Jess? Arthur thinks it's only one room, so it won't take long to search it. We do nothing until Arthur and Jess get back. When they arrive, go and see Martha at the vicarage. Make an excuse to use their telephone and call me. Ignore what I say when I answer. I have to be sure. I have to see Lomax's reaction. I want Arthur and Jess to both see his guilt before we carry out the sentence.
0: Mary leaves the bar as Lomax
4: returns. So you know the Daviliers? They own most of the land hereabouts. The Baron
3: and his serfs?
4: The Daviliers have everyone's respect here. They help everyone, often at their own expense. Sir John's father was the same.
3: How refreshing. The benevolent master.
4: They don't see themselves as anyone's master. They see themselves as being responsible for folk. They roll up their sleeves
3: when they has to. Shame they're going if they're so magnanimous. It's a shame, all right. Who will look after the big house? All the unneeded
4: house staff have been found positions... The butler will be raised to the position of estate manager. Oh, the butler, eh? Fancy.
3: Arthur Groombridge is a good man. Trusted. I wonder if he'll be happy to return to his former role, should his employers return. He'll do whatever's necessary for the de Villiers. Such loyalty. Such unswerving loyalty. Scanlon returns to the bar. Ah! The solitary diner rejoins the party.
2: Another shot in the arm? Listen, I'm going to turn in. I feel absolutely whacked. It must be the long drive and the fresh air. Good
3: God, man, it's very early. Perhaps it's just as well we didn't make it to Dorrington. You'd have been a wasted chair at a good dinner. Sorry,
2: old man. I feel rather groggy. I'll, I'll,
3: I'll say good night. Then this shall be mine.
2: Lomax takes the bottle of scotch and
0: pours himself one. Tempt you, Mr Thomas? Groombridge and Wilson enter the bar. Groombridge carries an old hold-all. They both stare at Lomax.
3: Good evening, gentlemen.
0: Lomax raises his glass.
3: I wasn't the only person foolhardy enough to brave the weather. Good evening. It's bleak. Let me stand you a drink to warm you. There's a dearth of company and I'll be glad of yours. Two more glasses, innkeeper. Not
1: for me. I won't take drink from strangers. I'll drink with you. Henry pours
0: scotch and pushes glass towards Wilson. There is a moment of silence.
4: Surely one won't hurt you, Arthur. I want to keep my wits about me. One drink with a gentleman won't befuddle you, will it? Very well. One
1: drink.
0: Henry pours another scotch and pushes glass towards him.
3: There we are. Now we are no longer strangers.
0: Lomax raises his glass. Groombridge and Wilson raise their glasses half-heartedly.
3: To Norfolk
0: Hospitality. I'm Stuart Lomax.
3: Groombridge and Wilson don't respond. This is Arthur Groombridge and Jess Wilson. I'm pleased to meet you, gentlemen. Hold on, Groombridge. You're the butler who's become the estate manager, no? How would you know that? The good landlord here was talking about you. Henry Thomas talks too much. We were just talking about the de Villiers, actually. And your name came up. Just idle chatter, old chap. Nothing malicious, I assure you. Where have you two been on a night like this? Uh, They've been in
4: the village. Wages need to be paid and rents collected. Life goes on regardless of the weather. Did you get everything you wanted to get? Yes, I'd say we got
1: what we wanted, with a small shortfall.
3: Sir John has got you started in your new role a little early, hasn't he? I'd have thought you'd have been mad busy with the dinner there tonight. It's all in hand. You must excuse me a moment, gentlemen. I must restore my personal comfort. The gents is through the saloon bar. Lomax leaves the bar. Bolt the
0: door and pull the curtain. Henry takes bottle of tablets from his pocket and puts three
4: in Lomax's glass. Jess, I moved the tree back off the road when they got here and put you all tracked around the back. Have you the letters? All we could find. Is all the
6: money there? I counted it in the car. It's £30 short. I can't stand this. It's like drinking with a condemned man. Courage, man. It'll be over soon enough. Is there no other way? There's no other way. He must disappear. But look, we, we've got the money, or most of it, and the letters. It was all behind his wardrobe. Did you search it thoroughly? One room, dingy place, over some shop. Listen, for pity's sake, we need to slow down. Let's not go any further now, any further than we need to. Look at it. We've got back Everything. We don't need to go any further. It's done now.
4: Look, we can't even be certain it was him. We can't be certain we have all the letters. Mary will ring the telephone here soon. I'll make out it's Dorrington Hall. If you're in any doubt, watch his reaction to what I'll tell him. Lomax
0: returns and reaches towards his glass. Wilson steps in front of him. Get out of Mr
1: Lomax's way,
0: Jess. Oh,
3: for heaven's sake, call me Stuart. I'm sure by the end of the night we'll be famous friends, won't we? Do you gentlemen play cards? Cribbage, sometimes. That may be a little rural for me. How about poker? Finzi
4: 014. Yes, speaking. Dead? Oh my god! No! He's dead? Yes, yes, I understand. Yes, yes, of course. I'll tell them. I'm sorry to inform you, Mr. Lomax, that James de Villiers has committed suicide. He left a note saying he was being blackmailed and would no longer jeopardise the family honour. The police have been
3: called. Dear God, I must go. I need to go.
4: I expect the police will want to talk to all the guests at the dinner party,
3: even the ones that didn't make it, like you and Mr Scanlon. I must wake him and we must go. Go now. Lomax moves towards the stairs, but stumbles. Why the
4: hurry, Mr Lomax? I
0: feel very strange. Groombridge and Wilson help him into the armchair with his back to the bar. Henry takes a bottle from under the bar. He pours a few drops onto
3: a pad. Rest there a while, Mr Lomax. Probably I should have eaten something. I feel a little woozy. I'll be okay in a jiffy. Of course you will, Mr Lomax. You're going to be just fine. Go and wake Scanlon for me. Tell him we must get back to London tonight.
4: Yes, of course I'll do that.
3: I'll go and get him now. Right now.
4: We'll take care of everything now. That's a good chap. Henry walks behind the
0: armchair. Groombridge grabs Lomax's arm. Henry puts a pad over his mouth. There is
4: a weak struggle. Then Lomax is unconscious. He'll be out for at least 30 minutes. If he stirs, put that over his mouth again. I'm going upstairs to get his stuff and Scanlan's key. Henry goes upstairs.
6: Christ, look at us. What are we doing? Shut up. we do doing what's got to be done. Look, we could just carry him up, put him in his bed. They'll both just wake up with blinding hangovers. Please, it's not too late to stop this. Groombridge takes Wilson roughly by the collar.
1: You heard what Henry said. He's got to go. It's the only way we could be certain the Daviliers are safe from him. Forget about what Henry said. This is murder.
6: That scum Lomax is a filthy blackmailer and we're going beyond the call to stop it. Do we really have to kill him?
1: If he walks away, we can't know what he'll do next. If any of this comes out, if Sir John was to hear the allegations about James, what will it do to him? Hasn't that man suffered enough? We all know there's a chance that James would put a revolver in his mouth, and we aren't going to risk us, happening, are we? Are we?
0: Henry returns, carrying Lomax's bag. Groombridge lets go of Wilson. This is Scammon's car key. Henry throws it to Groombridge. He takes Scanlon's wallet and opens it and takes out £30. He can make up the shortfall. Henry puts the money in his pocket and then places the wallet in Lomax's inside pocket.
1: Why are you doing that? Because
0: it
4: makes him look like what he is. An evil, untrustworthy, light-fingered, petty chancer. See? Not only has he stolen his own companion's car, but his wallet as well. Take him now. Get him out of here. Get rid of him. Please, Henry. Put him in Scanlan's car. Drive him up to Euston's Rock. Put him behind the wheel and let him meet his maker.
0: Wilson hesitates. Do it! Groombridge and Wilson pick up Lomax and carry him out as Mary enters. Wait! He walks to the bar, grabs the bottle of
4: scotch and puts it in Groombridge's pocket. Before you send him over, pour this on him and throw it in the car. It was him then. There's no doubt. He wanted a bolt when I told him the police would be coming. Can we all be certain now? Arthur and Jess found the letters and got the money. They were all at his place. We can't have any doubt, Henry. We
5: can't have any uncertainty. There's no doubt,
4: woman. We'll do it and know why. You don't doubt, woman, not now. Wilson returns.
0: He's in the car. I feel sick to my stomach. Hold yourself together, man. Henry sees Lomax's bag is still on the table and Scanlon's coat on the coat stand and he removes the letters from both coats. He takes Lomax's bag, coat and hat, saying... These are going with him. Henry leaves.
6: This isn't right, Mary. Mother of God, this isn't right. It's right, Jess. Can't
5: you stop this? You could stop this. It's done. We're not going back. Hold yourself now. Don't break up on this now. The hard work's done. Henry returns. Go on, Jess. Wilson now leaves. What about Scanlan? How many tablets did he put
4: in his food? Four. Oh, we'll not see him till morning. Mary slumps into a chair with her
0: head in her hands.
4: Not now, not now. You can't do that now. Wilson and Groombridge return. I can't start the car. The key will start it. You need to turn the key to get power. Have you turned the key? Of course I did. Then, Jess, just tow the car up with your tractor. Go! Go now! I
6: can't do this, Henry. I thought I could, but I can't. Bring the tractor round. Put the chains on the car. I can't do it. I can't. I'll do it, Arthur. I'll tow the damn car. You steer it. Henry and Groombridge leave. I can't do this, Mary. I'm living in a nightmare. I'm going to wake up in sweat-soaked bedclothes, aren't I? Aren't I, Mary?
5: None of this is really happening, is it? Yes, it's a nightmare. But we'll all wake up from it and we'll forget about it. Just like every other nightmare any of us have ever had, it'll be forgotten. How? How will we forget
0: about murder? Mary pours a drink and pushes it towards Wilson. Drink
5: this. You've slaughtered animals, untold animals. You can't be saying that. Well, I've said it. We're slaughtering a man, a man, not meat. He's dying so James de Villiers can live and live in peace. The time for doubt has gone. I thought we were family people. God-fearing people. We're all
6: damned
0: now. Wilson swallows the scotch. Mary tops up his glass. I've
5: no stomach
0: for
6: it. Too
5: late now. We agreed this. You go back to your farm, you do just what you've always done. Say nothing. You keep your mouth shut. That's the end of it, do you hear? We're just murderers. You hide it. I
0: can't. She holds his face in her hands.
5: Then we're murderers together. None of us feel better for it. Your Tom was always with the de Villiers boys when they were lads. I remember. Cracking lads. Always up to mischief. Harmless mischief, mind. Do you remember David de Villiers fished your Tom out of Clancy's pond? I remember. Tom were about nine then. David weren't much older, but he dragged him out. Your Tom were lucky. That could have turned out worse. We knew what James was when he got older. We all knew but said nothing because we loved those kids like our own, right? Now someone's trying to blackmail James for how God's made him. What will that do to him, Jess? What will that do to Sir John? James could kill himself like others have. Which would mean Sir John will have lost his whole family and we stood by and watched it happen. We're not going to do that, are we? If you like, see it as if James has fallen into Clancy's pond... And we're going to save him. But what about the law? The law won't protect James de Villiers or what he is. The law won't protect him. So we will. We have to, Jess.
0: She looks out of the window.
5: I see lights now. They're on their
0: way back. Everything's fine. Wilson sits with his head in his hands. Henry
4: and Groombridge enter. Switch the lights on, Mary. Unlock the doors. Open for business. Let's
1: put some life in here. I'll buy a round. Of course. Usual, Arthur? Usual.
4: Doesn't this feel just a little unusual? This one's on the house. He takes £30 from his pocket. I took that from Scanlon's wallet. Pass me the bag,
0: Arthur. Henry opens it to reveal a large quantity of banknotes. Henry
4: puts the £30 in the bag. That's all the money back. Put it straight back in Villiers' safe tonight, Arthur. Nobody will ever know it's been anywhere. Have you got the blackmail letter? Yes. Give it to me. Shouldn't
1: we keep it? For what? I don't know.
4: Groombridge takes the letter from his pocket. Henry snatches it. Give it to me. These are the letters and invitations we sent to them. I took them from the pockets.
0: Henry takes all the letters and puts them on the fire and soaks the fire with the poker. There.
4: They're burning now. We went through everything that had to be done and we've done it. We all agreed. If there's anything else to be said, say it now. While these damn things burn and then we'll never speak of it again. Never again. Hear me? What about Scanlon? Upstairs, sleeping tablets. He won't see anything till morning. He'll find his car gone and his wallet missing. I'll put him on a train back to London.
1: What if he wants to go to the hall and finds the de Villiers aren't there?
4: What, without his car? He'll go where I tell him. If there's anything you want to say, Jess, you say it now or hold your tongue. What can I say now? Good. They're burnt. It's
1: over.
0: The story moves on to the following Thursday. It's about 11.15 in the morning. An inspector is sitting at a table in the Volunteer Inn. He has a typewriter ribbon slightly unwound and is wearing his glasses as he looks at it. He makes some written notes. I'm home. As Henry speaks, the inspector takes the ribbon and his notes and places them in his bag. Only me here, Mr. Thomas. Henry enters. He carries some logs and an old newspaper. Good morning.
4: We don't really open for another 30 minutes. My daughter should be here. Henry shouts upstairs. Janet! She went shopping in the village. She left
7: about two hours ago. I can't imagine why she'd do that. Why she'd leave a customer here on his own. She left because I told her to. I'd only be getting under her feet. I don't understand. I'm sorry, uh, I haven't introduced myself. Lost in my thoughts. I'm a detective inspector from the Criminal Investigation Department at Streatham Police Station. Metropolitan Police. I'm looking into the death of one Stuart Lomax. He was at the wheel of a car that went over the cliff at Houston Rocks last Monday. That's about half a mile from here, isn't it? That's right. Oh, a tragic accident. It appears that way. Mr Lomax had checked in here that night, hadn't he, with a companion? As the conversation
0: continues, Henry knots the paper and prepares the fire. Yes, he did.
7: Listen, Inspector, I told the local constable everything I know on Tuesday. Yes, I've read your statement. You told the constable your flintlock had been stolen. Yes, and there's really nothing I can add. You're probably right. But I have to dot the I's and cross the T's, loose ends, you understand. These gentlemen checked in about 6 p.m.? Yes, about 6. Had they made a reservation? No. That's curious. Not at all. Most of our guests, especially out of season, are passing trade. This is a picturesque coastline. Many people enjoy the view. They were dressed in formal dinner garb, white ties and tails. Didn't that draw to any attention, any questions? None of my business. Mr Lomax's companion. Mr Scanlon? Yes, Mr Scanlon. He lives in Clapham. I went to see him. Oh, yes. After all, it is his car that went over the cliff. We need his version of events for the inquest. He said that he and Mr Lomax had been invited to a dinner party at Dorrington Hall by the Honourable James de Villiers. They'd all been officers in the Norfolk Light Infantry, apparently. Oh, yes. Mr Scanlan said it was a formal dinner, a gathering of old comrades. A farewell dinner, as he and his father were leaving the country. Mr Scanlon said they'd received a covering letter with the invitation, suggesting he and Mr Lomax should travel together as they lived comparatively close to one another in south-west London.
4: The gentleman must be confused. Sir John and his son left the country a month ago, and the house is quite empty. Did he show you the invitation, Inspector?
7: Henry lights the fire. Mr Scanlon couldn't find the invitation, or indeed the letter. I've been through all the property that was found on Mr Lomax's body. There was certainly no invitation or letter amongst it. Like I said, the gentleman made a mistake. The house is shut. It is. I went there first thing this morning. Dust sheets over all that beautiful furniture. I spoke to the estate manager, a Mr... Um, the inspector looks at his notebook. Groombridge. Uh, Thank you, yes. Mr. Groombridge. He confirmed there had been no invitation sent to anyone for any function at the hall for Monday night. In fact, no functions for over a year. Well, if that's what Groombridge says, it must be so. Mr. Scanlon says they went to drive up the lane opposite, but found their way blocked by a fallen tree. Oh, is that what he said? Yes, he said the lights were on here, so they came in, asked if there was another way round, and you said no. You said there was no way that tree could be moved before the weather broke, so they checked in here.
0: I see. Henry sits at the bar and does some paperwork, as if disinterested.
7: I drove by an old oak on my way up to Dorrington Hall earlier, probably about a hundred yards in. It covers the drainage ditch. I'd say it's been there a long time. Would you? You could see the hole where it stood. I'd say that tree came down in the storms of 1910. You can see where the bark's been stripped. The phone rings, but Henry pays no attention to it. I expect that will be Mr Groombridge. It was ringing while you were out. It rang three times every half hour. Somebody persistent. Somebody keen to communicate with you. A friendly call to alert you to my presence in Finsey, perhaps. Janet
0: enters, carrying shopping sees that Henry isn't answering the phone, so she answers it.
5: Hello, Finzy 014? Yes, Arthur. He's here.
0: Henry takes the phone. Hello? Yes.
4: I I know, yes. I'm speaking with him now. Very well, very well.
7: Goodbye. Yours, I believe. He hands the pistol to Henry. It was tucked into Mr Lomax's bag. A very old piece. It's a Claude
4: Carrier flintlock taken from the body of a French colonel at Waterloo by my great-great-grandfather.
7: I imagine that's pretty valuable.
4: I know nothing of its value. It was placed in that cabinet by my grandfather, and there it's remained. It represents a bit of old family honour and pride. How do you value that? Pride of service. And sacrifice. Aye, and sacrifice too. I'm glad to have it back where it belongs. He unlocks the cabinet, replaces the gun, and relocks the cabinet. You know, we raise a glass of this every June the 18th.
7: My dad did, and his. It's a little family tradition. Little family traditions, why not? You know, for years, the first-born male in our family has always been called Charles. My son's decided not to keep it up. A pity, but there we are. That's up to them. We can't be responsible for what our children do, can we? Mr Lomax saw fit to steal the pistol as well as Mr Scanlan's car. And his wallet, I believe. I thought the question stopped when the crime was solved. Those crimes appear to be solved, yes. Appear? We're rather more focused on the late Mr Lomax at the moment. A coroner's inquiry needs who, which is quite well established in this case, but they need the why and how too. So you're just after the tedious detail? The devil is often in the detail. The devil? Oh, a saying, Mr Thomas, just a saying.
4: I'd say the devil got into Mr Lomax, didn't it? It certainly looks that way. Come on, Inspector. It's hardly a Sherlock Holmes mystery, is it?
7: My life's rarely so interesting. The truth is the truth. It's not a commodity that can be served in half measures. For then it wouldn't be... The truth? Quite. The man drunk a bottle of scotch. Had an accident on the dangerous road.
4: Isn't that enough truth? Can't that be the end of the matter? Spare the unpleasantness. There'll be no prosecution
7: now, surely. No, uh, stony as the police may sometimes seem, we don't prosecute the dead. Then he's an unconvicted
4: thief. He can go to his grave with his name intact, can't he? Will he? The inspector
7: looks at the display case. Did you lock the cabinet when you noticed the theft? That cabinet is always locked. Then how did Mr Lomax manage to get the key? He couldn't get a key. Ergo, the cabinet was unlocked. I feel a little cheeky by saying this to you,
4: but surely you're aware that people can pick locks? A child with a
7: hairpin could probably have that open in a minute. Of course. You're quite right. He could have. That in itself is possible and plausible. That almost tidies that loose end up. Good. Makes him a very peculiar thief, though, doesn't it? How so? Because it appears he picked the lock took the pistol, leaving a medal which is itself of value, and then, most bizarrely, he must have relocked the cabinet in the same manner he opened it. You must agree that is uncommon behaviour for a common thief. Perhaps. But it must be said Mr Lomax wasn't a common thief.
4: Certainly looks that way to me, Inspector. He took my property in his friend's car and wallet. You have the expert knowledge, but that makes a thief in my book.
7: Yes, those actions would make him look like a common thief, wouldn't they? But that isn't what I mean. What do you mean, then? What you wouldn't know, what nobody would know, is that since Mr Lomax was discharged from the army, his life went into something of a downward spiral. The war took its toll on people in different ways. He became an inveterate gambler. He resorted to petty larceny to support it, and was convicted twice, His latest modus operandi was blackmail. Blackmail? Yes, Mr Thomas, section 29, Larceny Act 1916, demanding money with menaces. A deeply unpleasant crime, as a victim rarely wishes to proceed to prosecution, as by so doing, ipso facto, they have to reveal the matter for which they are being extorted. They are all extremely sensitive cases, even when there are reporting restrictions put in place, People fill in the gaps with something salacious. Sometimes what is imagined is worse than the truth. The damage is done. The doubts are raised. The reputation in tatters. The truth will out, Mr Thomas. The truth will out.
4: Revolting vile crime.
7: Mr Lomax took to patronising clandestine clubs in the Knightsbridge area. Clubs frequented by homosexual men. Although he himself was not of this inclination, he could meet many that were and ripe for blackmail. So
4: he had previous convictions for extortion then?
7: I'll have no way of knowing how many young men fell victim to Mr Lomax, but about a year ago one did come to the police and reported the crime. I took the gentleman's statement and duly arrested Mr Lomax. In this case, there were some compromising photographs in existence. A search of Mr Lomax's accommodation revealed them. As soon as the photographs were safely in police possession, the victim withdrew his allegation and there could be no prosecution. I rather thought he would. They so often do. Mr Lomax had made a mistake. That seems an understatement. Calling blackmail a mistake His mistake was letting the victim know his identity. He need just refine his method. I expected he would try to identify another wealthy, vulnerable, homosexual young man. Somebody who would pay to conceal his proclivities. Is that what these men must do? I'm not saying it's what they must do. I'm saying it's what they will do. I'm not moralising. I've lived too long and seen too much. One day, I dearly hope that such matters between adults will not attract any attention at all. How can we legislate against love? For that is what it is. I'd say you appear to be remarkably broad-minded, Inspector. I'd say, for your own quiet reasons, you are too. Is that what you think? Sometimes I can look at the same details of a case as my colleagues and see something else completely. My thoughts just carry me off. Inconvenient affliction in a busy police force, I would have thought. Yeah. Some colleagues would look at this and see a young man with a gambling problem and debts has driven three hours to the Norfolk coast, had too much to drink, taken his friend's car and wallet and your precious pistol, lost control in a storm and driven over a cliff to his death. What else
4: is there to see?
7: What we see depends on how far we choose to look.
4: Must be frustrating if you're looking south, when everyone else north.
7: Well, as I was here, I thought I may as well look. Just to be sure Mr Lomax left nothing here that may help me tidy up the loose ends. You don't mind, do you? Shouldn't you have a search
0: warrant? The inspector takes a warrant from his pocket and puts it on the bar.
7: Oh, one of these, you mean? Yes, but then I thought... If I go marching into the magistrate's court in King's Lynn and start swearing warrants, people will start talking, especially in a small place like this. Will they? i rather think so. And what if I come in and don't find anything? It could damage your reputation, Mr Thomas. And I had no reason to think you wouldn't allow me to look without a warrant, so I didn't trouble the magistrates.
4: That's very considerate.
7: And you have a very good reputation, Mr Thomas. Oh, Have I? And on what do you base that? I was talking to people in the village. You and your family are very highly regarded. You all look after each other. It's survival. We all pull together. Your daughter said her mother does shopping and cleaning for two infirm widows. That's right. Done it for years. And you yourself were helping the licensee of the horseshoe after he had a cellar collapse. Even a rival and a competitor gets your assistance.
4: We don't have rivals. We have friends. He needs to be open for business. He'd do the same
7: for me. I think Londoners could learn from Norfolk folk. Only a child should need to be taught common decency. And your very decent daughter, in your absence, gave me permission to look around and sign my notebook to that effect, see? Thank you, Inspector, but I did believe you. So have you found what you were looking for? That's hard to say, as I'm not certain what I was looking for. Would you say James de Villiers was a popular man? Very. Many friends? Countless. Did he stay in contact with any of his fellow junior officers after the war? One I know of. They would go travelling together. I think his name was Jerry.
4: They came in here a couple of times. Great company. He used to play the piano in the saloon. Had everyone singing. Stood everyone a drink.
7: Recently? No. About three years ago. Was it... Jerry or Gerald? Jerry! Short for Gerald, I think. Tell me, is James de Villiers married? No. Isn't he? He isn't married yet. Courting. None of my business. You know the family well. Would you say he was a confirmed bachelor? The
4: man's 28. Nobody needs to be a confirmed anything at such a young age, do they? Besides, I think he's got a more developed sense of responsibility than most young men in his position. Looking after the estate, helping his father, going abroad to be his father's aide. He'll be away for three years. He'll probably meet and marry when he's away. Who's to say? Indeed, who's to say? Unless you were employing something else, Inspector. Oh, I hope my questions
7: don't lend themselves to implications. These are questions you should be asking James de Villiers. In the circumstances, that would prove difficult. He
4: served his country, like his brother, He came back, his brother didn't. His mother died last year. That family have had enough misery, they should be left in peace.
7: I have no intention of adding to their troubles, Mr Thomas, none at all. They certainly won't be able to add anything to your inquiry about Lomax. No, I don't believe they can.
4: You must have the luxury of a lot of time to be asking all these unnecessary questions.
7: There's never enough time and always too much to do. In what little time we have. You're probably wary about wasting any, then. So true, Mr Thomas.
5: Being methodical
7: is time costly.
0: Mary enters the pub and Henry introduces her to the inspector.
5: Would you like a cup of tea, Inspector? Thank you, Mrs Thomas.
0: Uh, No sugar. Mary returns a few minutes later with a cup of tea
7: and hands it to the inspector.
5: Do you have family, Inspector?
7: I do. I have
5: a son and grandson. The little Pip... And he's three tomorrow. My son will be 27 next birthday. Still bake a cake for him. We hope for grandchildren soon. Gives us another lease of life, I reckon. I think that's true, Mrs Thomas. What does your son do? Charles. He works in
7: his father-in-law's butcher's shop. He was wounded in the war. He has a limp. Doesn't let it stop him doing anything. They want to open their own shop. He's got spirit. He says there's plenty worse off than him. Andy's right. Mary leaves. When we received the message on Tuesday regarding Mr Lomax's death, I went to his accommodation. It's above a Greengrocer's in the Stratham High Road. To notify relatives? That's the normal procedure. But Mr Lomax lived on his own, in a bed sit. Sounds a little sad. Doesn't it? What's even sadder is that his room seems to have been burgled. The door had been forced open. Anything stolen? Hard to say, as there was very little there by way of creature comforts. It's not so much what may have been stolen as what I found that captured my interest. What was that? A gold watch inscribed to Gerald on your 21st birthday, Love, Mum and Dad. Sounds like more evidence of dishonesty, if you ask me. Yes, it does, doesn't it? It's an expensive gold watch... "'My mind started to wander. "'I thought, there's no way a man like Mr Lomax, "'who lives such a hand-to-mouth existence, "'would be able to hold on to something of this value for very long. "'He must have obtained some other funds recently, "'which meant he was in no rush to dispose of the watch.'
4: "'How can you be sure he didn't buy the watch?' "'I'm
7: not.' "'There we are, then. "'Perhaps you're barking up the wrong tree.' "'There's always that danger, Mr Thomas.' "'One less loose end, eh?' "'Not on this occasion. "'I had a search made at all stations "'and my colleagues at Kensington told me of a theft "'reported by Mr Gerald Simpson. "'A gold watch and some correspondence. "'It was reported a month ago.' "'I expect Mr Simpson was pleased to have his watch returned.' "'Quietly pleased, I'd say.' I had a brief conversation with him. Brief? Yes. He asked if his correspondence had been recovered. When I confirmed it hadn't, he was very keen that I should leave. The
4: police at your door rarely represents good news, Inspector. I wouldn't take it personally.
7: I'm far too long in the tooth for that. He said he had no knowledge of Stuart Lomax or Alastair Scanlon. Dead end, then. Curious end. Why curious? Because Mr Simpson lied. How could you possibly know that? I contacted the records office of the Norfolk Light Infantry. They told me that Gerald Simpson served as a junior officer with Lomax and Scanlon during the Great War. Many people choose to forget the war and everything that goes with it. I have a photograph here from records. There they are. There. Standing next to Mr Simpson is the Honourable James de Villiers. Like I said, many people choose to forget.
0: There's no crime in it. The inspector places the photograph on the shelf above the fireplace. As the conversation continues, the inspector taps out his pipe, cleans it methodically and refills it with tobacco.
7: I suspect I've found all I'm going to find.
0: He puts on his hat and coat and leaves with his pipe in his mouth... After a moment, Groombridge enters.
1: I was watching through the window. There's nothing to worry
4: about. He's clutching at straws. He came to the hall first thing. He's been asking questions in the village. Policemen ask questions like publicans pull pints and butler's polished silver. Let him ask his questions. You seem remarkably unconcerned.
1: He knows something, Henry. The way he was talking to me, the way he was looking at me.
4: I'm telling you now, that man knows more than he should. He knows nothing now and he'll still know nothing later, unless you tell him. Has he spoken to Jess Wilson yet? I don't know. He will, and he'll let the cat out the bag. We'll all swing. You hold your tongue. Go and find Jess. He'll be down at Spencer's field. Find him and tell him to make himself scarce for the day. Go now. I've got this under control. Groombridge leaves through the
0: kitchen door just as the inspector returns through the front door.
4: I didn't expect to see you quite so quickly, Inspector. I only
7: walked as far as that old fallen tree. Did you know? Is it another of your loose ends? There's chain marks on the tree. You could see where they've bitten into the wood. That's where somebody's pulled it off the road then. I agree. But the curious thing is. "'There's marks both ends.' "'Meaning what, exactly?' "'Meaning that the tree has been pulled both ways. "'Pulled onto the road and pulled off again. "'So the tree must have been moved "'between the times that Mr Scanlon and Mr Lomax were obstructed by it "'and came in here, "'and when Mr Lomax drove off in the middle of the night. "'You told them that the tree wouldn't be moved until the morning at least.' "'An observant man like you must have noticed
4: "'it's mainly arable land round here.' There's plenty of folk with machines capable of moving a tree. That is possible and plausible. Good. For now. There we are, then.
7: Another of your loose ends Dispense with, eh? Did Mr Lomax make a reservation? Did he telephone you? No. He was passing trade, like I said. There were no telephone calls between you, then? Do you remember any telephone calls on Monday last? None speak to mind. Curious. He opens his briefcase and removes a document. This is an original GPO record. It shows a call was made from a London telephone kiosk to Finzio O One Four at 2.15pm on Monday. He looks at the label on the telephone on the bar. That's the number of this telephone I see. There's
4: millions of people in
7: London. Could have been an inquiry about anything. Could have been a call to a customer. Everything you say is quite true, of course. The telephone kiosk is in the Streatham High Road. In fact, you can see Mr Lomax's front door from the kiosk. Curious.
0: Or mm, all coincidence. The inspector places the GPO record on the shelf above the fireplace.
7: If they arrived at about six o'clock, that's three hours and 45 minutes, allowing for a brief stop and London traffic, that would allow time to travel here, wouldn't it? If you say so. I've never been there. They found Mr Scanlon's wallet in Mr Lomax's inside pocket. The wallet's a peculiarity too. Thieves are usually interested in the contents of wallets and not the wallets themselves. Ask any pickpocket. I wouldn't know where to find one to ask. Mr Lomax could have taken money from the wallet and it may well never even have been noticed by a man like Mr Scanlon. I don't think anything he did was particularly rational. No, it just rather looks like it was supposed to be noticed. I
4: don't even think that's a loose end. (laughs) I think you're trying to make sense of something that has no sense at all. What time did you and your
7: wife retire on Monday? We locked up at 10.30 as usual, uh, and would have been in bed by 11.30. Had Mr Lomax gone to bed? Of course. If you'd locked up, how did he get out? May I use the kitchen door? The key is left in that one. Then you found the kitchen door unlocked on Tuesday morning? Must have done. I don't recall. Did he starting the car not wake no. you? No. As you say, you have no problem sleeping.
0: None. The inspector takes gloves from his case and puts them on and takes a
7: tablet bottle from the bag. Who's these? No idea. They're chloral hydrate. Sleeping pills to you and me. I found them at the back of the pantry. I'd say there were a good few missing from the bottle. They're not mine. No, they can't be. They're a prescription drug. But look, there's no name on the bottle. And as you said, you have no problem sleeping.
0: The inspector places them on the shelf above the fireplace with the other items. Henry shrugs his shoulders. I can't help you. The inspector takes another bottle from his case.
7: This is even more peculiar. This is chloroform. It's an anaesthetic. Now, this shouldn't be anywhere but a hospital or a licensed medical practitioner. This was in the pantry too. There's all
4: sorts in that
7: pantry. When I was at Lynn Police Station, I checked keyholders' details. There's a Dr Collins in Finsey Village. I see that you and your wife are keyholders for his premises. Yes, I am. And he is for us. I wonder if an inventory at Dr Collins' premises would reveal any shortfall. The inspector places the
0: chloroform on the shelf next to the bottle of sleeping pills.
7: We have tradesmen in the kitchen all the time. As you say, perhaps someone else has left these in your pantry by mistake. The post-mortem on Mr Lomax isn't until Saturday morning.
4: Is that necessary?
7: I'd say the dimmest milkmaid could tell you the cause of Mr Lomax's death. She'd tell us the apparent cause, but inquests need more detail. More pedantic, tedious detail. Or thoroughness, perhaps. Like I said before, what one finds depends on how far one is prepared to look.
4: There's no measure of time-wasted searching for what is not there.
0: The inspector takes key and fob from his case.
4: What's that?
7: That, Mr Thomas, is a very loose end. I see a simple key. Is that what you see? What do you see, then? There was a mechanic working on Mr Scanlan's car on Tuesday. He has two cars? Oh, yes. The same make, but different colours. Cadillacs. He says one is for weekends. He is an indulged man. He couldn't choose between blue and red... So his father bought him both. He was propounding the great quality of these American cars.
4: Not that great if he's got the mechanics in.
7: The mechanic was replacing the ignition key barrel because the key would no longer start the car. He's having a procession of bad luck. Car problems now. Bad luck, yes, I suppose he is. But I don't think there's anything wrong with the car. Did you tell the mechanic? I suspect there's something wrong with the key. The inspector places the key on the
0: shelf next to the chloroform bottle.
7: Meaning? Mr Scanlon informs me that he always carries the keys to both cars on his purse. What are
4: you getting at?
7: Simply this. If the key he has won't start the car in his garage, I suspect the key in the car at the foot of Hewson Rocks wouldn't start that one either. Theory. If that's the case, then the car in which Mr Lomax met his death did not drive to its final destination. It must have been dragged or pushed. More theory. What, I thought, could drag a heavy American car uphill in a blizzard? I have no idea. I noticed some paint flecks on the chains behind the tractor in your yard. Blue paint. As you say, all untested theory until they drag the car up from the rocks. In what? Checks his fob watch. About three hours. Those chains are probably older than you. That paint could have come from anywhere. The car at the bottom of the cliff is rather an odd shade of blue. I'd call it turquoise. My wife would say aquamarine, but we can settle on
4: blue. I don't know what it is you think you see.
7: Let me ask you the same question. What do you think a jury are going to see? I know nothing of juries, nor do I care to. Mr Groombridge is a busy man. Indeed he is. He's been left with a lot of responsibility. He knows how the estate works. An onerous task,
4: a trusted position. His mother worked for Sir John. His family have been in the area
7: for generations. As have you all. Yes, as have we all. He has power by proxy to act on their behalf. He may make decisions of a minor nature regarding the running of the estate without reference to them. These duties entail opening their post. That isn't marked personal, of course. Does he? An eminently sensible arrangement when one considers the time delay in the postal communications with the Middle East. It allows the day-to-day matters to be dealt with quickly, effectively. Makes good same sense. If anything had been addressed to young Mr de Villiers... Chances are Mr. Groombridge would have opened If that's what he said. It's what I may surmise from what he said. Surmises to go with your theories, guesses and loose ends. It's my way. You'll have to bear with me. Despite being busy, Mr. Groombridge left the office to make tea for us. He has a typewriter upon his desk. Has he? Yes. Have you noticed how few people in any official capacity write in longhand now? Very rare. I'll take your
0: word for it. The inspector takes the typewriter ribbon from his case. Voila. Loose
4: end?
7: Yes, at the very least. It's a ribbon from a typewriter. That's not all it is. What else could it be? It's evidence, Mr Thomas, it's evidence. You see, the keys leave an impression as they strike the ribbon. This is a fairly new ribbon, which makes it relatively easy to read. I unwound it earlier. The inspector sits down and reads from paper notes he takes from in his bag. Please be so kind as to accept this cheque in full remittance for the work, etc., etc. That was the last thing typed, but as I wound the ribbon back... It would be wonderful if you could attend my farewell dinner, invitation herewith. My father and I are leaving the country for at least three years, and I saw this as an ideal opportunity to gather some old comrades from the Norfolk Lights together. I managed to decipher the letter that was written to Mr Lomax. Shall I read that one to you? It reads very much along the same lines. No. This rather corroborated everything Mr Scanlon said, doesn't it? They had indeed received invitations to a dinner party. The inspector places the typewriter ribbon on the shelf next to the key fob. I see. Invitations to a non-existent De Villiers' Dinner Party, which wasn't sent by the De Villiers. Mm, the whole thing could have been some sort of practical joke. Possible. There, um, then. But not plausible. You see, the telephone number on the invitation is Finzio14. Your telephone number, Mr Thomas. Conspiracies, successful conspiracies, involve the fewest number of people acting in concert. Is that what experience tells you? That's what common sense tells us. The call from the telephone kiosk in Streatham was to alert somebody at this end that Mr Lomax and Mr Scanlon had left. That would allow somebody at this end to estimate when to pull the tree across the road. You knew the men would stop here and ask for alternative directions, as yours are the only lights in the area. What do you expect me to say? For this to work he would need you, Mr Greenbridge and Mr Wilson. I think your wife too. I expect the sleeping tablets were administered in the food. You'd see me hang? you see us all hang on your theories? If you have a jigsaw with a few pieces missing, you can still make out what the picture is. I'll have you see what I can see. Have you got
0: all the pieces then? The inspector pats himself as if cold,
7: takes the poker and stokes the fire. Fire is an interesting contrast. It can warm and preserve us, or it can be all-consuming and destructive. The invitation and letters are gone. I suspect the blackmail letter has gone the same way, but the picture remains the same if one gathers all the remaining pieces.
0: The inspector points to all the items lined up on the shelf.
7: What picture can be seen? Accident or design? There's little doubt in what you see. I want you to see it too. Does
4: that make it more satisfying to you?
7: I exact no satisfaction other than doing effectively what I'm paid to do. You'll never understand. I understand this. You have to make a decision now. Your moment has come. It'll be just me. Make your decision, Mr Thomas. I'll not guide you. It's your decision to make. Sometimes we have to do something completely selfless. Something we wouldn't normally do. We'll never know what that thing is or when that time will come. What more poignant reminder of what I say can there be than this very citation? The inspector
0: points to the display cabinet with his pipe.
7: It's your time now. What are you going to do? But do hurry, there are people coming here for you in. The inspector looks at his watch again. Just a few minutes. Let's get this out of the way, shall we? Henry puts his
0: hand on the cabinet, over the Victoria Cross.
4: I think you're an honourable man. You are an honourable man, aren't you, Inspector? The inspector
0: doesn't reply, but sits at the table and puts his pipe in his mouth. You can hang
4: me. You can have my neck to satisfy you. But nobody else. Agreed? After a pause, the inspector looks at his fob
7: watch. He cleans his pipe as he speaks. Let me start by telling you what I see of this jigsaw, shall I? Mr Lomax remembered that James de Villiers and Gerald Simpson had been, what shall I say, close. He inveigled his way into Mr Simpson's accommodation. How he did this I may never know, but they had served together, and Mr Lomax is, or was, a sociable man. He had charm. Once there, he found opportunity to search Mr Simpson's possessions. He stole the watch, but he got what he really wanted, what he suspected he would find, the letters. Mr Simpson was then in a quandary. He reported the theft to the police, but not all the circumstances. Of course, Mr Lomax was intent on extorting money from the writer of the letters, who was, by far and away, the wealthier man. He was plainly unaware that James de Villiers had already left the country a full two weeks before he sent his blackmail letter to Dorrington Hall. What do the other pieces have on them, Mr Thomas? The letter was opened with the rest of the post. £200
4: was to be placed in a safety locker at Liverpool Street Station. A key had been sent with the letter... He assumed that James would be unable to tell anyone and would be on his own. We knew Lomax would be watching the locker. He would have seen a figure, dressed in a dark coat and hat, dark glasses, collar up, approach and put the bag in the locker. He'd have seen that person walk straight back onto the platform and board a train back to Kings Lynn.
7: I expect that was Mr Groombridge. As he would be the closest build to Mr de Villiers. Remember, when I tell you this,
4: Inspector, when I give you the missing pieces of the jigsaw, every part I describe now will be me, and me alone. I did everything. Right? Carry on. He was followed back to his place in Stretham. I found his name on correspondence in the kimula entrance. I see. I knew the demands wouldn't stop. They never do,
7: do they? Such is the unpleasant nature of blackmail.
4: I knew if that letter, or the next one, had got through to James, what he would do. He'd see the futility of his situation. Suicide? I had to silence him. Get the letters back, and... Get
7: rid of him. So he was invited to a dinner party, and Scanlon was invited to make the invitation appear authentic.
4: Yes. Why Scanlon? He had a platoon on the line near Librique, France. He went to pieces. They hushed it up. They'd just shot that lieutenant diet to show they were prepared to shoot officers too. The obscene madness of it all. They got him out of the way, gave him a staff job. David de Villiers volunteered to take his place. He was due to go on leave. He was killed three days later. I see. It wasn't spoken about. Scanlon was a scared young man. He went out of his mind, and others did. I felt it was kind of right that he could help save James de Villiers now, even though he
7: had no idea he was. The wallet, the gun, was to make Lomax appear completely disreputable.
4: I'll write all this at the station. I did it all,
7: nobody else. You'll take nobody else. You've said exactly what I expected from you. Your pieces complete my jigsaw. The inspector goes to the
0: hat stand and puts on his hat and coat. He closes his briefcase and moves towards the door. They'll be here in just a minute now. Henry points to the items on the
4: shelf.
7: What about your loose ends, Inspector? Mr Thomas, they're not my loose ends. They're yours, surely.
4: Can I say goodbye to my wife before you
7: take me? Get a few belongings. Please, Inspector. I don't think that will be necessary. I'll only be a minute. I'll... You don't understand, Mr Thomas. This really isn't my inquiry. This whole business is in the jurisdiction of Norfolk Constabulary. Who knows how far they'll choose to look. Best not to assume they're idiots, eh? Mr Thomas, you've enticed a man here and snuffed his life out like a candle. How do you feel about that? Righteous? Justified? "'Vindicated, perhaps? "'You said you don't have any problems sleeping. "'I wonder if that will last. "'I think you'll be on your own prescription "'of sleeping tablets before too long, "'once the enormity of what you've done sinks in.'
4: "'You've got my confession.
7: "'Do you want me to writhe with guilt?' "'Whatever we were, whatever we thought we were, "'we no longer are. None of us. "'I'm going now, Mr Thomas.' I'm going to see my grandson. I'm on leave now. I retire in 12 days' time. I'll go back, hand my warrant card in and clear my desk. I expect they'll give me a send-off. You know, you will probably be the very last person to call me Inspector. My grandson is such a beautiful boy. Pip, we call him. He was christened Philip. My son Charles and his wife named him after a very brave young man. A very brave man indeed. Good day to you, Mr Thomas.
0: The inspector doffs his hat and exits. Henry slumps into a chair and starts to sob, just as Janet enters.
5: Oh, Dad, whatever is the matter?
0: She goes to the door and calls.
5: Mum, Mum!
0: She returns to Henry and puts her arm around him. Groombridge and Wilson enter.
1: Where is he? He told us to be here at midday. He gave me this letter. Who?
0: Mary enters.
1: Hennessy, the inspector. He got Mary to pass me a note. He told me to get Wilson and be here at twelve o'clock, as you need a hand to tidy up some loose ends. Hennessy? He
4: was Hennessy. What of it? Has he gone? Yes, he's gone. Is he coming back? Henry shakes his head. No, he's not coming back. It's over.
5: What's over? Nothing, darling.
4: Everything's all right.
5: Who was he? Why is Dad so upset?
4: Detective Inspector Charles Hennessy. He has a son. He's called Charles too. It's a family tradition. His son was wounded in the war.
5: Are you all right, Dad?
4: Yes, darling, I'll be all right. His grandson is called Philip, he said. Named after a very brave man.
5: What are you talking about?
4: Sometimes... We all have to do things we wouldn't normally do, he said. He wasn't talking just about me. Don't you see? It was himself too.
5: Dad, you're not making any sense.
4: Read the citation, Mary. I don't
0: want to. I've read it. Henry takes her hands and speaks quietly. Then read it again. I don't want to. Henry unlocks the cabinet, removes the card citation... And hands it to Mary. You've never
4: read it. I know why. I'll never ask you to read it again.
5: But read it now. Mary
0: starts to read the citation.
5: St. James Palace, 20th of March, 1917. The King has been graciously pleased to approve the posthumous award of the Victoria Cross to the undermentioned Lance Corporal Philip Henry Thomas. Norfolk Light Infantry, killed in action. For most conspicuous bravery, near La Brique, France, while engaged in an attack, his section came under withering machine gun fire, wounding his officer and one man. Lance Corporal Thomas pressed home the attack, silencing one machine gun and killing its crew, still under heavy fire, and with complete disregard for his own safety.
0: At this point, Mary's voice cracks. She begins to cry. Janet puts her arm around her shoulders, and continues to read the
5: card. He carried first the officer, and then the man back to the safety of his own line. In so doing, he sustained a mortal wound from an enemy sniper. The officer... Lieutenant David de Villiers died of his wounds on the 22nd of February. Private Charles Hennessy survived.
0: Henry puts his arms around them both. End of The Devils Often in the Detail by Ben Henderson Abridged by Edward Kirkby The characters were played by
2: Alistair Scanlon,
5: David Hall Henry Thomas, Bill Worrell
3: Stuart Lomax, Michael Berman
5: Mary Thomas, Chris Murphy Janet Thomas, Lorraine Evitts, Arthur Groombridge, Goth
1: Tilling
6: Jess Wilson, Mark Timmis Inspector Hennessy,
7: Terry Offiver
0: With narration by Edward Kirkby This is an Audio Theatre production. For more information or to volunteer, please visit uk.